We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the True Faith Weekly Podcast, sponsored by Phoenix Taxis and Coaches. To book online, please visit www.phoenixtaxis.net. Hello, welcome to True Faith Weekly Podcast. This week it is me, uh, Alex Hurst, joined by Ben and Sai. We are here to talk about Newcastle's fantastic win over West Ham. But first of all, we'll have a bit of a treat for you listeners with uh, the lads' interview with Rob Lee. About 10 minutes long, so we're going to play that shortly. Sai, you've done a write-up of this for the True Faith site, so why don't you tell everybody listening a little bit about what happened on Saturday? Um, well, you gave us a call saying, uh, lads, Rob Lee wants to play football with you. I think it's important to say he actually scouted us. Yeah, all. yeah. <laughs> he was he was looking to come out of retirement and he needed a warm-up game. So basically, he saw he saw the... Uh, he the found Sir- four lads with the biggest <laughs> kites going. Yeah, he saw the Sir Bobby Robson five-a-side tournament in which we <laughs> excelled ourselves and thought, you know what, <laughs> that's the team for me. We did win uh, the podcast derby, actually, so... Yeah, yeah. Fuck off, Gallagher shots. Um, <laughs> no, it was just... So basically, what is it? It's uh, it's two companies play with a legend, and last, last night of freedom, freedom, which do like stag do's and stuff like that. Basically, doing these kind of events with with footballers across the country. Rob Lee's associated with Newcastle, and they got in touch with us, and um, kindly invited us to to get in touch uh, and play. Um, so, as as mentioned in my write up, we basically had a little round robin. Rob Rob Lee took a turn, got on everyone's team. Poor lad, poor poor lad. <laughs> um, and yeah, had a, had a game of footy with, with one of our childhood heroes, or at least he was for me, which was a pretty exhilarate, exhilarating experience. I really enjoyed it. Um, and after the match, we got to have a little Q&A with him, which is what we're going to play shortly. And um, yeah, really nice bloke. Had a lot of time for everyone. Um, just a cracking crack morning, followed by a cracking match in the afternoon. Great day all round. Definitely. So we're going to play as the clip now. Sai or Ben, do you want to... Well, I'll do it myself. Uh, the first question we uh, asked to Rob which is missed off on the recording is name the best NUFC player that you played with hope you enjoy this well I, I, I was lucky enough to play with a few really I, I, people ask me all the time and I have to put them into different positions really I mean um, Ginola 
the first six months Ginola came to uh, to Newcastle, he was outstanding. I thought I'd never seen anything quite like him. Really, he was uh, you know six foot one, built like a British house, and, and he was quick and he, he could uh, he took corners with both feet. And he was uh, to say he was something completely different. I think that our team needed. Um, but obviously, you know, as a goal scorer, Alan Shearer was, was I think the best in the world. Um, you know, no one to get near him for his goals and stuff. So it's uh, Peter Beers there again was was mighty when I was a kid and I was lucky enough to play with him. So I was I was very lucky to play with a lot of players. What was Janelle like in training? Uh, he was he was either very good or he was shit. <laughs> <laughs> there was no in between really. If he fancied it and he, he, it wasn't too cold for him, he was outstanding. You know, when, when Tino arrived as well, he was exactly the same. So if you got on their team and a nine aside and they didn't fancy, then you were getting battered. Uh, if they did, then you were winning quite comfortably. So um, I just, I just think it is how cold it was. Was uh, where Genoa played well. <laughs> is there anyone that's played for Newcastle since uh, that we're getting the or the, the greatest side of the six, seven side? Yeah, yeah, I think that I think so. I think would, uh, I think Jonathan Woodgate and his in his um, I really liked him in his in his when he was here. Yeah, uh, I always liked him. Um, so just after you left. Yeah, that's quite a bit after I left, I think. Yeah, I, I missed him, but I, I thought he was a centre half that we didn't have. Basically, um, you know, it was quick. It did have uh, to defend. Um, you know, and I, I think he would have complimented uh, our team. Um, so I think, uh, I certainly think he would have got in. Okay. What was your favourite NUFC goal? Uh, <laughs> oh, different reasons, really. I. I I, I hit a 35 yarder against Coventry away um, towards the end of my career at Newcastle, um, which was uh, which is shown a lot. Um, but probably the uh, the semi final goal. I think um, you know no one at Newcastle players scored at Wembley for 30 odd years. They still haven't. Um, bar, bar me, and uh, I think we, you know that the feeling of scoring for Newcastle at uh, at Wembley. We had, we had a few tries. We had a couple of cup finals. Never scored. Um, the semi-final against Chelsea, we 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 managed to score. We should have won it. We should have. Whoever won that game was going to win the FA Cup. And, uh, uh, for fucking Gus Poyat, we would have uh, we would have gone on. But uh, just the feeling of, uh, of of the Newcastle fans, you know, once I'd scored the goal, that the the the, um, the loudness of, of the crowd, you know, it was, um, it was unbelievable. Never forget it. That's all my dad talks about constantly. Is that's my most memorable. It seems that whenever I go out in, in town, everyone was at the game. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's got a story about the surging forward, and just that it just seemed that every single person was at that game. Yeah. Yeah. I remember exactly what they were doing when they when I scored the goal. So. Yeah. Uh, why do you think that Rude Hullet was so adamant that you and other other senior players around the club weren't part of his plans? I, don't, I think Rude Hullet wanted to come in and, and totally revolutionise the Newcastle. Um, you know, came in after Kenny and wanted to revolutionise everything that was going on at the club, which meant getting rid of certain players, I think, and he wanted to do it his way. Brought a lot of foreign players in. Um, I just think he thought he was bigger than bigger than the club. Do you think it was him just trying to become a great himself? Yes, yeah. I, th- I think he just wanted to be... He, 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 he'd been a great player, without a doubt, uh, playing some great teams. And I just think he thought he could do no wrong. Yeah. He thought he could come in. He'll, he'll, I'll do exactly what I want to do here. And I don't think he realised the. Um, you know, he did try to take on Alan Shearer in Newcastle, which is <laughs> which is ridiculous. No one does that. So uh, yeah, I think he got his confidence in the end. Who do you think did more damage to that squad 
him or Dalglish? Everyone has a go at Kenny. Um, I, I just I like Kenny. I got on very well with, with Kenny. Um, I liked him as a manager. Liked him. He was very similar to Kevin. Really. Um, I just I just thought he bought badly. I think he bought players badly. You know, Stephen Gillard and John Dale Thomas and Pistone. I don't and I don't think you know when he when he when Kevin left. You know, we had a fucking good team. We had a we weren't good in. Kevin left for different reasons. Normally, a manager leaves when you're, you're struggling. You're playing badly down the bottom, but we were We was in still in the FA Cup, still in Europe, um, still doing well in the league, games in hand in the league, and he left for different reasons. So I, I think he had a really, we had a good team, and I think he'd have just tinkered with it. But I think probably because of egos and many new managers yeah. coming in, he'd have won something. Well, it's Kevin's team anyway, so yeah. he just seemed to dismantle our team. Didn't get up very well with Genoa and Les Ferdinand went. John Burris went and I, and I think we replaced him with, with lesser players. Were they his signings or...? <laughs> you, would have, you would have thought so. I, I'd, knowing Kenny, or you, would, you would have thought they were his signings. Yeah. Uh, whoever was his scout, I, I just, I, my, my personal opinion is they, they wasn't good enough in the yeah. past. Um, <clears throat> can you tell me about your, your biggest regret in your career? Um, biggest regret is, is probably leaving when I left. Um, I, I, and, the, and the way I left really. Um, I wanted to sort of like a new contract, um, was was fired around with for, for four or five months, and it, just, it started to piss me off. And I, I, you know, I saw players coming who were lesser players than myself, and, and I've been here ten years, and I thought I was treated badly. So I, I, my normal self is to um, is to uh, to kick off, which is what I did. Yeah. Has it soured your opinion on the club at all? No, not at all. No, no. I, I, I always had a great rep to uh, great. Relationship with the fans and the people at the club. Still see Freddie Shepherd, who was the chairman at the time. Not at all. It was just one of those things that that, that happens in football. But you know, if I, if I could do it again, I would probably just say, you know, I was 36 at the time. All I wanted was another year's contract. I thought they should have given it me. Um, they thought they they could wait till the end of the season um, and they give it me then, sort of thing. But yeah, just just uh, one of those things. Really. Um, <clears throat> did you think it would go down in 1999-2000 season before Bobby turned up? No, no, not at all. Never, never once uh, when I was in Newcastle did I ever feel we were going down. We always had a good team, even when Rue Pulley left us and Bobby came in. We won our first game 8-0, I think. Mm. I knew if the players, if he picked all the players, which he did, he's not stupid, Bobby. He got all the senior players back. I knew that we'd we'd be fine there's no it's a Sheffield game on its first one yeah, yeah, yeah. No. it's fine yeah, it? yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you signed for the club did you think that the the club had the potential to go where it did I don't think anyone can foresee what actually happened to the club I mean I was very lucky I think because I I think players come into this club now and they see 52,000 they, they, they see this huge club and I, I when I came it wasn't quite it was big it was a big club but they the, Stadium wasn't fully filled, and, and um, so I was lucky. I grew with the club, uh, which helped me. I think. But uh, I don't think anyone can see what the Premier League will become, and, and you know, Sky will take off. I don't think anyone can see what the, the stature the players have now. Yeah. Um, I don't. No one can foresee that. So, so. yeah. Um, last couple of questions. Who was better, Andy Cole or Les Ferdinand? Les Ferdinand. <laughs> Who was your favourite midfield partner? Um. I think David Batty was, was the one I wanted to play. Um, Kevin Keane was very, very good at asking players, um, so he would ask Andy Cole or you know, 
who's a good centre half, and then he'd, he'd ask, ask me, you know, who would you, if you could pick, who would you play? And I, and I said, at the time, I said I'd be Paul Lynch or David Bay. Um, and he, he went and signed David Bay. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so he, he, he was very good. I think it's, I think it's right. I, I, players know players, and, and you know, I think managers' ego sometimes up. They'll go and play. Ask the players who are at the club. Yeah. Who, who do you find it hard against? Who, yeah, yeah. who do you find is a good player? And, and he took notice of that player. Can't he, imagine that would be the case. Recent managers going to They wouldn't be, no. I, I would always, I mean, I asked my sons at the time when, when I'm, people are asking about players, the lower league players, I asked them, who, who do you find it tough against? But I, I watch the games, I see myself, but sometimes you don't see everything, you don't see anyone. Oh, no, yeah. He does that really well. So, yeah, yeah. But if you ask players, they usually know, yeah. they're not normally far off. How much do you think you'd be worth? If you play today, <laughs> oh millions, <laughs> millions. Uh, I, I got no, I, I got no idea. I, I, as I say, they, they go for ridiculous amounts of money now. I mean, uh, I saw Sir John Hoard Phil's uh, memorial, and the um, and the uh, so the Reverend was uh, was was from down south. He was a charm fan, and he mentioned it in his in his, um, in his speech about Pat, and that's John Hall behind me. Poking me in the back, said, "You cost me seven hundred grand. You did." <laughs> so I thought it was too much at the time. My dad, my dad still says that it's the best value for money anyone's ever paid for a player. Yeah, everyone says that, but that's probably because I was so cheap. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's. Um, I think the, the price is. When we paid fifteen million for Alan Shearer, everyone thought, "Wow, yeah, that, that can't go on. That can't <laughs> go on." And it's got to stop. It, well, they, they keep saying that. They keep saying the wages. I mean, when John Barnes first went on thousand pound a week or. Then it went up to ten grand, and you think it can't go on. This can't, it's gone, it's gone madness. So you keep everyone keeps saying that you, this can't go on, and, but it will. Well, the money, the TV money keeps going up, so it's going to keep going. So it will it continue as long as that money keeps going? It will continue to go. What's next for you? Any plans to go into coaching? I'd love to. Yeah, I really would like to. I've spent the last few years um, watching my sons play, watching lower league. At the moment, I like I prefer watching lower league um, than the Premier League. I find the Premier League's gone boring. I think it needs a Everyone seems to be not want to, not want to, um, not want to lose games. They're trying to win games, and, and it always sticks in my mind what Kevin Keegan said to me. Kevin Keegan said to me, "It's an entertainment." He said, "People want to be entertained," and that's the way that I would want my team to play. Just it might not win every week, but you'll entertain the crowd, which is, is again people. So I think we forget about it because of the money that's involved. People get the, people work bloody hard to go and watch that team play. If they Look forward to it all week, and it's crap. <laughs> you think, entertain people, entertain might lose, might win. The Newcastle fans, well, we lost the league. I don't think they minded sometimes. They went lost the league, and they, they, but they saw, they knew when they come to a game, they were getting entertained. They knew that you'd get to see players that would entertain and get them off their seats. Yeah, brilliant. That's very much So, very interesting stuff there from the lads. Obviously, I wasn't involved. Um, I found it fascinating, as I was just saying, you lads off uh, off air. Uh, some of the patter he goes on about is in Martin Horry's excellent book, Touching Distance, which most uh, self-respecting Newcastle fans have read. Not you lads, though. even though I have done a podcast interview <laughs> with yeah. him. I, I, well, I did it. I read the book, though. <laughs> You've been more than welcome. You gave us like a day to read the book. To be I read fair. the book in a day, sorry. It's such a good read. Uh, so, yeah, Ben, why, like, obviously... You've, you've told a little bit about um, meeting Rob, but why don't you talk a little bit about the, you know, the things that you said there? I'll start you off. Uh, he was straight in there with who's better, Andy Cole or Les Ferdinand. He didn't, he didn't <laughs> yeah. have to think twice about it. 
you must have uh, been watching the same video that uh, me and you watched on the flight to uh, South Africa, Premier League Legends of Andy Cole. Um, yeah, he was just really straight to the point, wasn't he? He obviously fancied uh, Solaire's a lot more. Um, Taller. <laughs> better looking. <laughs> but yeah, no, he was just really candid. I thought it was really interesting. Unfortunately, um, he did a Q and A bit with with the wider group that had played just before we did that interview. You bet you wasted all his good stories. <laughs> yeah. on a, on well, there was we didn't have the mic on. yeah, we, we unfortunately missed the recording on it, but um, he, he had some really good uh, good chat about it, um, and it was a really interesting insight just into sort of what what they used to get up to back in those days. I mean, compared now, it's just stuff you couldn't get away with now. Obviously, the game's gone so professional. Um, one of his funniest stories is about they used to go out every Monday on the piss and Keegan knew about it but they were winning every game so he wasn't asked. and they'd go out Peter Beardsley was the, the designated driver <laughs> and uh, like almost without fail every time Keith Gillespie had to be taken home early <laughs> first one home so like, put, put, in a, put in a taxi and sent on his way Pretty but yeah it was, it was like you said it was like mandatory sort of group bonding on, on a Monday night every time I think somebody used to go down to Uno's or something Really? Um, down, I, I don't know, or Lu- Lumo or something. I can't really say. <laughs> Lumo. <laughs> something like that. But uh, yeah, he said, and then it was expected that everybody would be in training the next day, and, and he said that they always were. Um, he was talking about how they they used to have to play golf as well, and he said he, he didn't play golf the first few times, and basically said, well, you're coming, so you just have to walk around for four hours if you're not playing. <laughs> so he was like, oh, I'll stop playing then. He was like, right, go on then. <laughs> So uh, that's how you got into golf and stuff. But um, yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of stories they they had um, that were really good. I mean, obviously, he talked he talked in more more in depth about the the Barcelona game, um, how obviously that was the first sort of big game in in Europe uh, in Champions League, and just what and what an atmosphere it was, and what an experience, and something that he you'll never forget. Um, and yeah, it was just just really really interesting. I think for for people looking to do that, the the um, Last night of freedom and they play with a legend, like that was a really enjoyable part of it. After as well, uh, the sort of the Q and A because he, he was, as I say, there, there was no sort of questions that he, he wouldn't answer. He he was more than willing to, to talk to everyone. It was just really interesting to get a, an insight into what what sort of was going on at, at the time and obviously what it was such a, um, a brilliant time to be at the club. Um, it's it's good fun to hear those types of stories. So yeah, he was good to play football as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Link, linking at the play, getting involved, like bringing people in the game. Like try, he was actually being a really nice bloke on the pitch as well. Yeah, it would be a hard sell for people though if he was just a dick and didn't pass. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll move on with the rest of the show. Um, if you like the idea of playing with Robley or any former footballer, you know anyone, you've got friends who you know for a stag party or any other occasion would um, would fancy doing that, then. You know, follow Play With A Legend on Twitter at simply play with a legend, all one word. And last night of freedom is at LNOF. Uh, they organise the best Dag and Hen weekends in the world. Not that they like to brag. And Play With A Legend arrange, well, basically does what it says on the tin. Uh, so, yes, lads, Newcastle United 2, West Ham 1. What a day that it was. Sai, talk to me about John Joe Shelby. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, I was just commenting that I don't want to go straight back to Rob Lee, but <laughs> I did spend the weekend with him. Love um, Rob yeah. Lee. Um, just like, so me and Rob are going out we, for dinner tomorrow night. We, we, <laughs> we were saying after that, even that little five side of the 49-year-old Rob Lee, like how good his touch was, how good his passing was, just like spraying around first touch outrageously. And he's just thinking, our midfield can't even do that now. And that was just before three o'clock on, mm-hmm. on Saturday. 
and then John Joe Shelby shows up and within 20 minutes we're just thinking this is a totally different team not only was his first 20 minutes excellent and his passing was outrageous and, and everything else he just made everyone else on the team mint again callback suddenly re-emerged just like a, a really good midfielder being brought in the game getting forward confident um, on the ball spreading it about it he, just worked it worked in tandem yeah, really well obviously Jan Matt was bombing on but even Paul Dummett was getting some crosses in on the left yeah. as well like getting in the, the half and you kind of even when players were getting ahead of Shelby, there was a confidence that, well, the ball's going to get there. Whereas previously, when Anita and Colbert were fanning on in front of our own box, no one wants to get ahead of it because we're just going to lose the ball and, and end up straight back in front of our own net. So. I think the biggest thing is he's just direct. I mean, we've, for so long, we've, it's been so laboured, the build-up play. Just, it takes forever to get a ball forward. Yeah. A ball goes into a man and he's got about 10, 10 men around him. And, and just the way they were playing, Colbert and, and Shelby... Um, Previously, Anita and, and Colbach would be passing the ball around and it, it would just be going side to side and it didn't really, there was no penetration, it didn't pull the, the team sort of out of position, it, it didn't cause them any, any issues or anything. Straight away, you could notice Shelby was running past players, getting in the space in between the, the midfield and the defence when he could or, or the strikers in the midfield, sort of causing issues for players and, and then he was willing to spray a ball. I mean, that ball for the... Um, the first goal, I think, to second, uh, goal. second goal. Sorry, the Yamat. I mean, what a ball! Just the, took, took out. You know, the ball it was really play. good. Was brilliant. And you're right, but I think the ball for the first goal is almost as good because we've had no one for years. There was three players between him and Winyaldum, and he still was like, "Nah, fuck this." I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna try and thread it through the eye of the The Newcastle don't score that goal for the past. Well, yeah. in a ten years, basically. Well, no, that, that's what the Premier League is now. You need to to try and make those small gaps. You've got to. You don't get. You've got given, to take risk. You don't get easy chances to score. When you get the ball in midfield in a decent position, you've got maybe five seconds to find like a a, a pass or something that's going to create a chance. We don't do that. But before that game, we've not really done that. It's just been like, oh yeah, pass back and forward. And our goals have come from the, the from mistakes, the, the yeah, wings, and just, just mistakes. Yeah, exactly. But this was just us creating a goal and being class. It wasn't really a mistake. We just got into the box and created a chance and scored it's refreshing to have someone who's got the confidence and willing to take a, a risk that okay if that ball didn't come off okay we lose the possession but you're probably not going to concede from that sort of spot but it's it's a massive like the, the potential of the win the win-win situation like if it when it got through I mean we're the through on goal and, and obviously it produced a goal and we've just we've just lacked someone taking the the initiative and the sort of the game by the scruff of the neck and forcing things to happen that, I mean, as I say, for, for so long it's been just, it's been really disappointing how how laboured, as I said, I mean, I keep using that word, but it's just been really hard work. It's not fun to watch. It's We, we just looked like a, a really poor team sort of trying to break teams down. I mean, the Man U game uh, was sort of, for the first half anyway, just looked like such a poor game because it was two teams that just lacking confidence, no real quality in midfield. And then, obviously, Shelby's come in and he's come, as you say, just everyone had more confidence. Callback yeah. started beating players. Confidence, um, confidence is the key because even when Yaldum looked brilliant, I mean, he, he gonna, was linking up really well. Gonna with come on to him in a, in a sec. I just want to bring something else into for you lads, which I didn't put in the running order, um, and that's the money <clears throat> that we we'll talked about and stuff like that. For players and all, all I read on Twitter these days and all you see on Facebook and stuff and the, the True Faith Facebook page, and we're at TF Weekly Call on Twitter. Um, as people say. He's not worth that. Twelve million, I wouldn't pay that. Fourteen million for Townsend. Are you kidding? Who gives a fuck? Like two things. Number one, 
uh, as McMahon's just correctly put on Twitter, will play 12, 12 million for Tovan and no one bad an eyelid mm. because he's foreign. Yeah, yeah. Whereas people seem to hate paying money for English proven yeah. Premier League and international players. And people are going, Berahino, 20 million, are you mad? And it's like, hey, who, who cares? Is it a football club? We should be able to nonchalantly overpay for players considering the austerity of the Mike <laughs> regime. Yeah. When we've you know, the club is self sufficient. That the good thing about being a self sufficient club where you're not relying on Man City's um, you know, evil uh, anti <laughs> homosexual and you know, that the way that the government of the UAE run their club, um and also paying the wages of the players and same with Chelsea and Sunderland they can't sustain where, themselves where's this go this is just going to an anti-Qatar run <laughs> yes, we, what's your point we, we should Get be able to say point. right okay this club wants him for this much you want it for 9 million we'll offer 14 because we can afford it because we'll have a big fan base because the club in a financial sense is remotely run somewhat res- you know, resembling well and other still issues but People saying fourteen million pound for Andreas Townsend bargain. You know, if he comes here and he plays well this season, it basically considering the money that Newcastle would make by being in the Premier League next year. It's it's, it's a If he scores five goals, we're spending something like thirty million on Cabela and Tovan combined. Yeah, so it's, like, exactly, just, just it's think a, about like that. It's that, that's another great point. So I just can't see this goals negativity. Goals and assists in the Premier League are worth that kind of money these yeah. days. That's how it works. Definitely like, win the games, and it's going to bring people in. <laughs> yeah. What I'd what I'd rather do. I don't know if this sounds bad because I'm one of Freddie Shepard's biggest, biggest critics of the latter days of his regime is I'd rather take a gamble on an international player, Townsend, who will be in the World Cup squad if he plays for Newcastle regularly this season, who has scored goals in the Premier League, who has done it, who's played in Europe, than, than a cheap punt like Gouffran. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I know you could get 20 Gouffrans for a Townsend, <laughs> but I know, I know who I'd be backing <laughs> if that game took place. It's. I think. I mean, Townsend against Townsend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just as you go back, twelve million. You say it's a lot of money. It's it's it's, it's, not, it's, it? it's absolutely nothing. Con- considering what ten ten years ago, man, you paid eighteen or twenty million for Michael Carrick. Similar type of deal, like young emerging international, um, which is what twelve years. Twelve million is a snip in this day and age. In a twenty three Exactly, and he's he's he has been getting in the England squads. He's. I mean. He's going to be playing ahead of Fabian, Fabian Dalf, surely, um, when it comes to the Euros and stuff like that. So he's got a cracking chance to keep getting better. And he's, he's, got, he's got that carrot there to, to push him on. He's, he's playing for a spot in the, in the, the team um, internationally. So hopefully that's going to drive him on to, be, to, to give everything for Newcastle. And I think it's just a brilliant bit of business. Um, we've obviously signed him on another big contract. So he's, he's going to be here for the, for a long, long period anyway. So, I mean, say it's five million, it's... it's just over two million a year for what you're going to get. It's worth worth paying. And I mean, we've we've talked about him a few times on the podcast. Um, I'm a, I was a massive fan beforehand. I know Richie Smith uh, loved him as well. Oh, we're talking about Shelby now. Yeah, still. Oh, talking. sorry, I thought we were talking about uh, Townsend. The whole no, time. no, no. We're still talking about Shelby. I was like him against Delph. <laughs> <laughs> I know but, Delph um, gets a game for some <laughs> mad reason, but I didn't think they start hiding him on the on the wing. City have, I think. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just it's just a. I think he's a brilliant, brilliant player uh, that's, that's going to bring the best out of the players around him. He's going to bring players into the game, as you say, getting Paul Dummett forward. He, if Dummett was forced to push on because of the balls that were getting played into him, he had to push on and that's good at encouraging him to go forward. So he's, I think he's going to bring the best out of all the players around him just because he's going to link up with them really well and, and he's... He's willing to, to pick up the pass, which he, he can't do. That's so, right, everybody. Sorry, we're just I, bringing uh, Mike Crean on. Uh, <laughs> right. 
I think you were pretty clinical there, Ben, with what you had to say. So why don't you? We'll, we'll stick with you. And I know I asked you before the show to, to talk to us about um, what do you call him? When you held him at ten, it would seem that the team and he seem to play a lot better. Do you think this is a this is the answer to all our problems? Two goals in a week. Played that position. Played there at Arsenal. Played very well. Uh, do you think this is it, or do you think do you think it's kind of a you know we've got a bit lucky with the teams we've played against that they've basically just not marked them. Two very arrogant teams in terms of the way they set up. I thought West Ham's setup was poor, but we're going to talk about West Ham in a minute. I don't think it'll matter if he's marked. I think he's that good a player. He's comfortable receiving the ball at feet, and and his little tricks. I mean, he he creates space anyway, just by his little drag backs. He's a really skillful player. And, and <laughs> do you want to sort that out first? <laughs> it's fine, man. Keep going. I'll 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 meet the I'll meet Skype until Mike's ready. Just pause it. No, no. Keep going. Up. Keep going. Keep going. Let's meet him now. Help. <laughs> I think I just want to add on on when you're inside. Is it? I, I think the, the only negative. <laughs> Sorry. The negative thing to come from it is Perez on the left. I know he scored, but I, I don't think he's he's being utilised. I, I still think he was he had a quiet game. He yeah. looked he looked shot. Um, and for the last twenty minutes, I was calling for Perez to be moved up front, and then you bring someone like Aaron's on the left. Mm. And for the next home game. Just to give Mitrovic a bit of a kick up the arse, I'd be tempted to do that. Start with Perez up top. Uh, I don't know if you need to give Mitrovic a kick up the arse. Like, I thought he was superb. He needs to stop missing like chances. His best, his best game for Newcastle. But to be fair, like, nearly every single chance was of his own making. Apart from I mean, the one he got put through by Shelby, he didn't have the pace. Yeah, he did everything right. He, he turned on his right foot, obviously left the defender for dead, but then finished. Is he the list you just need to give him a football and just go and like make him just practice finishing the ball. Probably not with Rob Elliott, but with someone that's <laughs> going to give him a bit of challenge. Yeah, this is the part of the show that I would like to respectfully ask Richie Smith to leave the room. I'll let you leave, Richie. Okay. Elliott again. Um, like he's, he's doing a good job. He's now definitely second choice keeper. He appears to be better than Darlow, and I'm content with his performance. But he's like he, he, the fact that he attracts such little criticism for his... Blatant errors pisses me off. He was at fault massively for the goal against Evan. And I hear people saying, oh, well, he kept winning the game. Well, he made some good saves, but that's his job. It's literally what he gets paid to do. Like, he was so slow off his line. And if you pause uh, the highlights of the match, like when Ben Mestel passes that ball, Jelovic isn't in the screen in the shot. And Rob Elliott is not that far from the ball. It takes him so long to come off his line. If you compare that to Adrian... In the second half, when I can't remember it was Mitrovic or someone was played through, Adrian was moving at 100 miles an hour, and I just thought if that was you know the opposite thing turned round, Rob Elliott, you know, would, would have conceded. Rob Elliott is a really good goalkeeper on his line. In terms of coming off his line, claiming balls, claiming crosses, he should have come and got that ball for the, the goal against Arsenal. I'm blaming him for that. Um, I just I just worry it's going to cost him, but he's he's the best we've got at the moment. I think that's pretty good. There was a story today in the Chronicle about. Victor Val- uh, the club tried to take Victor Valdez on loan from Man United and they just said no so at least the club tried uh, to do something joined very fortunately uh, by Mike Crean who's come to talk to us now about West Ham and he's going to talk to us later on in the show in the Premier League section hiya Mike you alright? yeah not, not bad that lad they put me on, on my favourite club yeah is it? <laughs> didn't know you had any beef no, with West no, Ham no a bit of irony I don't know that came down Scott <laughs> right well, I was just going to ask you. Just butchered it either way. No, I. Uh, <laughs> As I was, was going to ask you. West Ham came into this game nine unbeaten, unbeaten since November the fourteenth or something mental like that. 
and really Newcastle played very well but Newcastle should have been about 4-0 up at half time and the, there was only one winner in that game I think I mean West Ham were very very poor do you see this as the stalling of their Champions League credentials or do you think that you know the last time they uh, got beaten they reacted tremendously well and they picked up some really noticeable results against some big teams or do you think you know West Ham have, have peaked yeah, I, I, I don't think they ever had Champions League credentials in the first place, to be perfectly honest. I think they're they're too reliant on on, on, on one player. We see, I think, Pyatt's made a, a difference again since he's come back in the last few games. But I think if you look at Bilic's record, um, he's quite consistent in the jobs he's done. He's, he's had a good start, uh, a good start, especially in Turkey, if you look. Uh, I think he was top of the league in March and ended up finishing miles off it in about third, fourth place. Um, he's got a record of, of tailing off at the end of jobs. Croatia um, tailed off in the latter years there as well. Um, and if you look at West Ham over the past few seasons, Allardyce still, um, uh, seemed to had a great start of the season, first half. Second half of the season, they might as well have not turned up um, players on the beach. And I guess over the next few games, it will be quite telling is how West Ham season is going to go. If you look at their February, they've got a they've got a good February. They've got Villa at home, um, Southampton away, which could be tricky. Could not you, you don't know where Southampton at the moment. Norwich and then Sunderland at home as well. So you look at that February, and you think a West Ham Ham team that are, they're are at it um, should get a good. You know, they should be looking at targeting nine points in that February at least. Um, so whether they do or not will probably make or break their season. I think. Personally, I would err uh, with them, you know, tailing off um, this season. Because I think if you look at that level of club, I think they don't want to go in the Europe, Europa League, I doubt. Um, no team does. They're not going to make it into the Champions League. Um, I, th- I think there's going to be a natural, in the backs and minds of the players, maybe not consciously, but I think subconsciously players of, of teams of that size now, towards the end of the season. Will, will, will naturally take their foot off the gas. Um, you know they, they they've got the headlines earlier in the season, and as I say, no club wants to get in the Europa League, uh, which is a bit of a mad state of affairs. Um, so I can see them turning off for that. But when you look at their picks in February, they're pretty piece of piss really. So February will be a big month. Um, we'll talk again. Talk to me then again about West Ham. But I, I think uh, I think they'll turn off personally. They're totally agreeing, I think, especially when you're talking about February. If they can get through that February with, like you say, nine points, once you get into March, April, in and around those Champions League places, anything could happen. I mean, the last time um, Newcastle were involved, what, 11, 12, everyone basically said all season, even Newcastle fans, we've got no chance of making the, the, the Champions League. We got into March about seven points off fourth, then had an incredible run in February, Sorry, February in uh, April, May, and realistically, we should have qualified for the Champions League. We threw it away, and got a couple of injuries, um, so it is possible. All I, yeah, all I said West Ham is after that nice run in March, they have got Spurs, Everton, Watford, Chelsea, Palace, Arsenal, and Leicester, so, uh, and Man United. So that will probably do for them. But yeah, I thought I thought they were very lazy at the weekends, not in terms of uh, ground covered, but basically they didn't adopt the tactical plan for the signing of Shelby. They still completely tried to close down the flanks, uh, particularly the right side. Though on the counter-attack, Yamat was a constant outball against Cresswell, who really struggled all afternoon. Um, and, and Shelby just had time, time and space in that first half 
especially. They reacted at half-time and Belich must have got it and said, why are you letting this fantastic player stroll around the pitch, picking out balls left, right and centre? But it kind of showed me that perhaps you know they weren't they weren't expecting a difficult game and they really got caught killed. 2-1 hugely flattered them on the balance of play. Obviously, I know you, you weren't have seen the game, but it was a very, very convincing performance by Newcastle. But uh, cheers, Mike. Uh, interesting words. <sighs> Feeling it, Ben? What are the fixtures coming up? So the fixtures coming up, side, which I want to talk about now for Newcastle, which make this West Ham win so big, are Watford away on Saturday. Huge game. You've got to hope. This is the weird thing at Watford, because tonight, as they're kicking off now, actually, you really, we could really do with them beating Swansea, because going back into the relegation zone would be such a deflating experience yeah. after be playing so well at the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but then again, you want Watford to win, but you don't want them to pick up enough momentum. The M word. To turn up against us on Saturday, thinking, well, what I, need, I did a bit. He, sw- he swallowed the M word. <laughs> the M word. Whoop. Um, and uh, yeah, so like it's a tough one. I think uh, you, you've got to have Watford to win and just re- you, you know start relying on us. But we'll, we'll have Watford away, break for the FA Cup. We'll then have Everton away. We will be going to Everton away and doing a podcast on the way back, I believe, from the car, um, which we did at Burnley last year. Uh, and then we'll have West Brom at home, which is obviously, you know, you, if, you, if you want to stop in the Premier League, West Ham at home is, uh, you know. We'll, we'll beat West Ham at home on Saturday. So. Oh, did I say West Ham? West Brom as well. West, West, Brom, yeah. Brom. The, West Brom. Six Brom points from those two games. and You'd be more than happy with six points, wouldn't you? What's, what, what would you take from those three then? <laughs> I, would take, I would take four points. From the three games, if, if, if say, say you, you drew with Watford, got beat at Everton, and beat West Brom, no one would be complaining, would they? Mm, yeah, but as using your C-word context, like in the context of the season, we'll probably need a bit more than that. I suppose that will. What 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 are we on now? We're on twenty-one points from twenty-two games, so that would take us on to twenty-five from twenty-five, which is somewhere where you want to be. You know, getting yeah, to, getting above the point a game. Ratio. I mean, after after that little room, we'll have Chelsea away, Man City at home, Stoke away. So, like the next three after that, I suppose you've got to be looking. Man City at home is twelve o'clock kickoff. For fuck's sake! Um, uh, it's it's a massive it's a massive three points. Is, is what I want to say. I mean, the the whole performance, and it was one of the, you know if we'd if we'd have played the game against Stoke against West Ham and you know we should have beaten Stoke but if we would have played that performance I don't think everyone would be as excited as they are but it was the, it was the manner of the performance and the fact that West Ham who are fifth at, at currently at the time of talking at the time we played them the fifth best team in the Premier League that, that could not handle Newcastle United that didn't have any answers and we should have beat them by more so it was hugely promising and I thought the atmosphere was excellent it was just a good day it was our first win at home in a three o'clock kickoff in eleven months, yeah, so that that whole like you know growing up and even now it's different with television. But like when you buy a season ticket, you're not thinking about turning up at twelve o'clock on a Saturday. You're thinking about right, meet you lads in town, twelve o'clock pints, win the match, get in class, sing loads, more pints after the match, home takeaway match the day bed. That's where it's yeah. supposed to be. Not like. I see. Is it about quarter past eleven for a breakfast in Wetherspoons before we will have a coffee? Before, like you know, yeah. it's just absolutely ridiculous. We don't, we drink, do. coffee. We don't drink coffee. We don't drink coffee. We only drink beer. <laughs> um, it's just. It, I mean, the, the thing that the result does for you, though, it's it just shows you the potential of this team. Yeah. The definitely. fact that we've we've played a, a team like that off the park, and you criticise West Ham, but they still had enough about them to stay in that game, and and had they have taken their chances at the end, they could, they could easily nick that game somehow. 
Um, Rob Ellis made a brilliant save at the end uh, save with the three points been a good save well a good save yeah. but, but, but it's, it's brilliant in terms of context of the match this, like, this, is, this is Rob Ellis I'm talking about it's it was vital yeah. it wasn't it isn't credit to him good save well, it makes a save at 2-1 no matter how good or bad the save is yeah. it gets absolutely like plodded <laughs> oh my god Rob yeah. Elliott he's number one I tell you <laughs> oh, maybe we had fucking like Gillingham in two years I think um, it's because I know what he's capable of that I'm so yeah. like I can't believe he's pulled off a world class save there <laughs> when the ball's basically hit him but um, <laughs> it's just it's just the, the confidence in the team there is but it, you know what was if, good if with Shelby in it now as well I think they've got a chance to really make some waves and, and climb up the league because there's a lot of teams around them that are average that are just sort of dawdling around. Let, let's fucking get them. That's it. Let's have it. Right. <laughs> uh, what was I going to say? I was going to ask you, Ben, about Mitrovic and then you, Cy, about McLaren. I don't know if he's want to swap side because you seem to have some controversial views on Mitrovic. The consensus was he, was, he, played, he had his best game for Newcastle. I thought he was absolutely superb and it reminded me of, uh, of a young Andy Carroll. Um, just the way he handled the ball I thought he was, a, he was a handful but a young Andy Carroll scored loads of goals that's the only <laughs> difference um, I don't know I don't think he was great I, I, I thought he was he was like I said a handful but he, he gets himself in good positions he gets chances and he makes a mess of it he makes the wrong decision a lot there's, there's often times where he's got a good pass on and he's always going for the shot he wants to be the yeah, hero it's normal for a striker especially one yeah. who plays up front by himself well did you see Aguero pass the ball to Silva on, a, <sighs> on Saturday um, no, I don't, I don't think it was his best game, Mitrovic. He's 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 played better. He's I don't know. I don't think I'm in the um, I'm alone in this in this view. But I'd I'd like to see him have to fight his way back in the team again, come off the bench, because I, I'd argue you're very much alone. I think <laughs> the, the, the the reaction to his performance on Saturday has been one of like, oh, he was that good. Oh, <laughs> played he's, so well. He's <laughs> he's get him out of the team, drop him. There was a few few times where he had no right to win a ball. And yeah. he went and like brought it down. Against, like, against sprinting from like 20 yards away. Take it down on his chest. Established Premier League centre-backs who West Ham have, have had, uh, you know, and not, not at the start of the season, but recently in their, their nine-game unbeaten run, obviously a mean defensive record. Mm. And, and he, he bullied... Is it, this is a 20 year old kid yeah. bullied them players mm-hmm. Ben Mitrov- Mitrovic uh, McLaren faith restored I, th- I mean to be honest, it wasn't really dumb him was it I no, think no, you got to give him some I know, we no, slag I, him off all the time yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, I'm just well. saying uh, the, the reason what I'm saying that is because his substitutions like affected the game like adversely <laughs> I know what you mean <laughs> again like and I know he's, he's having to protect players by Dummett come off injured Dummett yeah Dummett was injured so obviously the, the Saive came on and, and Colbert went to left back where he's just he looks uncomfortable playing and Saive I think he looks better going forward than Dummett but that's he does, hard, he but does but he's defensively, defensively yeah. he was shaky there's a couple of times where he, you're trying to bring the ball down as if he was a midfielder yet you're in a really dangerous area of the, of the pitch and you just don't want to be doing that Saive I think dragged us back because he he basically I don't know if he he must have been told to play Sort of as the the anchor man in just in front of the back four, but what that did was it just pulled we back I think and and it made it, it basically gave uh, West Ham a lot more space to to come on and attack with, um, and then Gufran coming on again for his token, but play bonus or whatever the hell he's getting <laughs> getting it for, um, like just completely waste wasted like a, a substitution I, I, when, I when you had players on the bench that could at least come on and offer something we was going to bring on Riviera when I watched the highlights <laughs> oh god uh, go on Doug have your little say about how, may, how maybe, that would have been maybe inspired con- and it may be controversial but I thought Gufran was alright when he came oh. on 
He's a rubbish man. He went, I suppose he went up front because Mitrovic was not good, but... He came on, he put a, he put a 50 <laughs> shift in. Yes, yes he did, he came it's on. Weird, that it's was weird. the best thing that, he did. That, that, we've got a player who just has absolutely no chance in the world <laughs> of starting a game for Newcastle, yet still gets subbed in. Yeah. You know, if you look at Riviere now, he's back. The chances are, like, you know, a red card or an injury to Mitrovic or being nagged, he's going to get a game. Gufran would not get a game for Newcastle <laughs> in front of anybody. And yet he's still getting brought on. It's just a weird situation. It's just, I don't know what his, his point is. Like, so I think McLaren thinks he's a hard worker that'll come on and chase down things. And then he comes on and, and he's just jogging around the pitch. So he's not even got that element to him, which I think he did have back in the, like, in the day when he first came. He seemed a lot more hungry. I know for what you're saying. I think he's just dis- disenchanted. got the best of you, <laughs> If you listen to Alan, which you're definitely not. Take him, have him. <laughs> I think Gufran's just disenchanted. The fact that obviously he knows he's hated. But I then he's, he'll not go to Lille. But last week, uh, put a bit in. The manager talked about it in the press conference, so we know it wasn't bullshit. And I think he's on something like forty-five grand at Newcastle, yeah, so he's, he's not. It's a comfortable. Like he, he knows what he's getting here. It's, he won't get as good a deal anywhere else. So he's, <laughs> he's just happy to, to sit on the bench. But it's, sure, he it's, signed it's, a five-year contract in two thousand thirteen as well, so he's here for fucking ages. Get, getting back on the, the the question, which is McLaren. I mean, yeah, I'll give him credit. The the Shelby signing, if he's had anything to do with it, then brilliant. He's, he's brought in a really good player. Um, they're talking about Shelby, uh, sorry, Townsend, who I think uh, would would improve things as well. Um, it's just another option. But in terms of the, the way they played, um, it was it was much better. It was a much better game plan in terms of how they they exploited, um, as you said, West West Ham sort of game plan, and and if. You have to give him credit for that. It worked. Um, I think Mitrovic um, was deployed really well. Perez got got a goal off the left where it's not his best position, but he, he made the, the switch to bring Wijnaldum in and play the the deep the role behind Mitrovic rather than Perez, and and that worked really well. It's, it's bringing the best out of the most expensive signing we've made in, in the Ashley era, and it, that's what he's, he's been brought in to do in terms of Wijnaldum is, is sort of take in by the scruff of the neck and create chances and score goals and that's what he did so yeah I think he deserves a bit of credit but um, I still think he's, he's every time his substitutions I mean he's obviously his hands are tied with the option he's got on the bench but apparently Aaron's Aaron's, yeah, Aaron's is back fit Aaron's is back like fit <laughs> why, why isn't he putting all of them on and, it, and at least Aaron's has got something to prove still a lot like, to prove a lot to prove he, he's surely going to put in a bigger shift than then Gufran jogging around for time. But I suppose, like, with closing out the game, like, if he'd have brought on Irons, we'd be sat here and we'd conceive, like, what's he bringing on? Bloody Irons? Oh. Like, he can't defend. Irons has played left back. He probably would have put Irons on at left back and really <laughs> pushed him around, but I don't know. But now, nah, give him credit. He's obviously overseen a win there, and I just hope he, he keeps that confidence going um, within the team. Don't, don't change things too much and, and keep it going. Do you want to know a depressing stat? This is the 15th. Premier League win that Newcastle have achieved while we've been doing this podcast and that means we've done podcasts for 45 games <laughs> without a win <laughs> 45 times we've had to sit here and talk about Newcastle <laughs> fucking hell uh, I think that just about does it I'm going to move on now to Dogger's game so might you get involved if you're listening uh, less clues this week so you, you can't guess in the first round and once I've read the second clue you can guess okay okay so, in case you don't know this, of course you know this, everyone loves it. Uh, who am I, former Newcastle United player? I was born on the 1st of February 1966. I played 21 times for England, scoring two goals. I will now accept answers. 
Robert Lee. Robert Lee is our answer, sorry. <laughs> uh, too much banter this week, sorry. Other clues, I played at Charlton Athletic for nine years, playing almost 300 games. That's a lot of games before he moved he to Newcastle. He did mention no one ever talks about him playing with Charlton <laughs> really? even in nine years. Like, Not even Charlton like No one even asks him about Charlton. <laughs> yeah. The Charlton yeah. fans apparently hate him because he goes on about Newcastle so much and never mentions him as well. Like. <laughs> Uh, I scored Newcastle United's first ever goal in the Premier League, which he referenced in that interview. Uh, and I finished my career at Wickham Wanderers. Not the best August game next week, I'll do better next time. <laughs> Mike, you're going to talk to us now about some Premier League topics, which you've carefully uh, and sensibly selected. What would you like to talk about first? Yeah, I think starting with Arsenal is probably the best place to start. There's been a lot of... A lot of chat that ever whenever Stoke play Arsenal, it's a bit boring now, isn't it? The Ramsey Shawcross stuff, how Arsenal never win there, but really I like to look at Arsenal as, as uh, being having to be bona fide title favourites now. I think if Wenger doesn't, if Arsenal don't win the league this season, then Wenger's got to go. Um, I don't know how that would manifest itself, but I think if you look at it now, Arsenal, no matter how much we, we've called them having mayors this season, and they, they still predictably have the same mayors. Um, that they have every other season by default they, they have to be the title favourites at the moment if you look at who's around them Man City looks so vulnerable in our company there Aguero can't seem to stay fit for more than two months at a time Man United I don't think we need to talk about that again Dorothy I think I think we know <laughs> that they're not winning I'm, I'm insulted that you've even got put them down as, t- as fucking title contenders mate <laughs> <laughs> let them let well, them concentrate uh, on the battle for the Europa League <laughs> Well, if we're looking at those traditionally, like the traditionally, if we're talking about Arsenal having to win the league this season, that's what I've included. Arsenal having to win the league this season and look at the teams that traditionally will be up there that have to overcome that are basically not there anymore. Man United aren't there to overcome. Chelsea have had the mother of all disasters. They're, they're not there to overcome. Man City, as I've already said, look very vulnerable about a couple of, couple of key players. Liverpool have never been a tangible threat. So, if Arsenal somehow fail to not win this title this season by not even they, they won't even have to be an excellent team you, you know to, to win a title you think you have to be an excellent team they just have to be good and uh, 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 play to, to a decent level of their potential if they don't win the, win the league I, I don't see how Wenger can, can justify a position there anymore regardless of the, the great work he's done in the past I think Arsenal have been stale in terms of actually properly challenging for a title for for several years now, and with the with the state of affairs in the league at the moment, if if, if they don't win it now, I think Wenger was talking a lot in a post match press conference after uh, after the Stoke game about Carrot Day. He mentioned it several several times. He couldn't mentioned about Carrot Day to get a nil nil draw at Stoke. Fair enough, it's a, it's, a, it's a decent result. We've seen big teams, um, Sydney in particular, get absolutely torn apart in the Stoke this season. Um, but I, I just think. That if they don't do it, then then, then Arsenal have really got to, the Arsenal board have got to go back to the drawing board and, and have a have a serious think about about who's in charge because it's it, it, it's just it, it, it's harder for them not to win it. I think this season than, than, than to win it to be perfectly honest. Yeah, and I th- I think they won't win it. I think for them for Man City to have had the mayor they've had drop points where they've dropped points be missing Aguero and Silva and company for significant parts of the season still and still be one point behind Arsenal with Arsenal to go to the, to go to the Etihad as well uh, you know I'd, I'd, my money's on Man City but you know I don't know what you think but Arsenal are not um, they'll not sack Wenger if they do in the league the ball are, are too weak they're, 
they'll see this as progress. Wenger will talk a lot as progress as an improved season. Uh, so yeah, I, I, agree, I agree with everything you say. Though me, me and you um, agree broad, uh, broadly on Wenger in that he's an absolute farce and his underachievements of now, in my opinion, now supersede his, his previous achievements, such as such has been the barren years compared to the talent at his disposal. Um, yeah. But you're right, there's no clear way out, is it? Because, yeah, he's, he's not going to be sacked and, and, and he won't get, It's basically when he decides to go, isn't it? Yeah. He ain't walking away from that money, that eight million a year. Obviously, we're in, we're in January at the minute. Who who do you think, where, or where rather, do you think they would need to strengthen? Well, they, they need, they need uh, a, a top class centre back and a top, stri- top class centre forward. At least they need just, just, just that. Probably too easy to say this character, but they need, I think, someone who in place of Merton Sanger at centre half. I like Shelby. I think he's a good player. He's got he's got the odd lunge in him. Um, the odd dangerous tackle, but I think he I think he's a really good centre half, a, a world class centre half, uh, and, a, and a top class striker. Again, Giroud's a good player, but but they need they need something something extra. Giroud's not the type of player necessarily who will who will make something out of nothing when you're really struggling and just get a few players and put a top corner and just outbats it a moment of genius he's an excellent player and he works really really well with, with the creative players that Arsenal have him behind him he, he links in really well um, and, he, and he's a very skillful player but yeah. I just think they need that down the middle up front they need that guaranteed 25 goal season but someone who will in those big games tight nil nil to the top of the table or even that, those games where they're really struggling oh. just to pull it out of the hut um, as you see the likes of Aguero done on, on so many occasions. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think, I think those two. I think you look at Giroud against uh, Stoke, and it just played so much into their their defensive hands. I mean, he he, he didn't didn't particularly lead the line that well. I didn't think he wasn't really causing them any issues. Everything was in front of them. I mean, obviously in Walshide and in Shawcross, they've got two players that are really good in the air, which you would say is Giroud's sort of best attacking threat and I just think there's there's too many teams like that in the league that have got two really good sort of tall centre-backs that are, are good in the air and Giroud doesn't have any he's not good enough in the other areas of his game you say he links up well but he hasn't got the pace to sort of separate from defenders to, to cause real issues so I think the likes of teams of, of West Brom and, and West Ham and, and, and teams of that ilk, that that's the teams generally, and, and Stoke obviously being the, the main one, are the teams that Arsenal always seem to sort of struggle to beat because I think they, they lack that. I mean, I was surprised that he took Walcott off when he did. I think Theo looked probably the most dangerous player in terms of stretching stretching Stoke and pulling them pulling them out of position. And the fact that he took them off earlier, I just thought it was a bit of a mistake when he probably would have been the best sort of avenue of, of, of nicking a goal. So I mean, yeah, I completely agree with you. If if, if they're gonna sort of pull away and separate, I think they need another option up front, someone different as you who's going to give them something different. Obviously, they've tried Walcott a couple of times up there, and it doesn't seem to have worked because obviously he's just not a, a centre forward by trade. But if, if they could get someone that was an out and out striker who who knows the, the the nuances of the position and and offers something different, I think that would go a long way to them, sort of helping them win the league. But I can't see him doing it. He's he's obviously <clears throat> spent all his money in the in the summer, um, sort of beforehand. I think I don't see him doing much business in January. 
Um, so the next uh, thing, I believe you want to discuss uh, Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, I thought I thought um, there's been a couple of people in the last couple of weeks now, so I'm starting to hear a bit of a bit of criticism um, for Klopp and starting to starting to judge. Um, is where I think it's been there three months now in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, just Saturday, like his first seven games at Anfield, he's got nine points fewer than than Rodgers' last seven games at Anfield. I think I think got fourteen. So. There's been a few of those sort of stats bandied around and, and people starting to, 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 to question his ability and whether he's the right man for a job, which, to be perfectly honest, I think is a bit a bit ludicrous. Um, if you look at what he's got to deal with there, fair enough, he can, he can, you, can, you can work on set pieces and, and, and handle that, but there's so much dead wood there yeah. um, to, to get rid of. You look how, how much Rodgers' uh, transfer dealings have been criticised. He's got an awful lot to get rid of. <laughs> I think Pochettino at Spurs is a, is a, is a good example to, to look at how long it, it can take. You look at his first season, he had players that, that were never likely to buy into to his philosophy, that, that Preston game. And he's got a very yeah. distinctive style. Mm-hmm. Um, they need really young players that will buy into it and, and, and fully go for it. And when he got rid of those in last season, more than the players he got in, more getting rid of that dead wood, and he worked with players that were that were keen to, to, to go with that philosophy and, and say, commit to it. Then we're starting to see results. Now, I think it will be exactly the same for the clock. Um, obviously, things need to be going a bit better than they are at the moment. But as a Liverpool fan, I wouldn't pay any attention to where we finished, where they finished this season. I don't. I don't think it matters. They're, they're not going to do anything. They definitely don't want to get into the Europa League. I wouldn't pay any attention to it. I think uh, the style, when you have such a distinct style, um, that you want to impose on a team like Klopp, having a full pre-season, getting rid of those those dead wood over the next year or two, um, which will take. That's when you can start judging. Like at the end of next season and, and, and going into into the season after. I just think at the moment it's um, maybe it's been set up a bit by the fanfare of which he came in. It was a, you know, that rock star appointment. Um, Pretty much blanket positive press around him, um, so I, yeah, it makes sense that people are, are, are looking to to, uh, to to have a pop up at him uh, in the first signs of weakness. But I think Liverpool should just pay no attention to, to where they finish um, this season. Um, it's it's going to take a lot longer, and if he has the same fortune as Pochettino, as to, to get rid of those players that the dead with that squad, then we'll start to see. See a change, but I, I just think at the moment it's, it's completely unrealistic and it's a, it's a bit of an easy, easy stick to beat on with just like a lot of uh, who's just German, he showed uh, coming at the Premier League, doesn't have <laughs> all that sort of, uh, sort of rhetoric. Um, it's not surprising, but uh, I, I just think it's, it, it's tired and boring to be perfectly honest. Uh, I know Ben's going to come back to you about the body of what you've just said there. I just want to add on to what you've said. Uh, with a couple of things. First, first of all, I don't think any Liverpool fans are running out of uh, time with Klopp. It's like you say, it's more the general football media and fans of other clubs who are sneering. I, I certainly noticed quite a few Arsenal fans because Arsenal have publicly courted Klopp or, or certainly their fans have for quite some time. And, you know, there's a kind of... Um, and the same with Man United, Chelsea, all kind of very enviable... En- enviable when uh, Klopp took him on. Uh, one thing I will say is, I don't know if you saw Brendan Rodgers' interview on Goals on Sunday this week, Mike? 
Oh, it didn't, no, no. Well, what interesting thing to come out of that is how little control Rogers had over transfers and essentially how FSG have put... I don't want to say dafties, as <laughs> Mickey would call them, but, <laughs> but uh, they've put dafties in charge of their transfer policy. <laughs> so this bloke, I'm trying to find his name, this, blo- this American bloke is, is in like the top person apart from the manager on um, Mike, Mike Gordon, a well-respected US stockbroker, according to John Henry, by far FSG America's most knowledgeable person with regard to EPL soccer. <laughs> Who? He wouldn't Mike, call it that if he was knowledgeable. Who, who is this bloke, Mike Gordon, who's a stockbroker? He's basically like one of us, good America, being like, "We heard our podcast," and then, yeah. and then hoping the the person said no, <laughs> and then wasn't like, "I've heard it, it's shite." But <laughs> <laughs> it's excellent. We know loads about football. Well, we're in the market for someone who knows about football, but we know about football soccer. Sorry. Well, would you like to come and be in charge of our transfer committee, Woodworth? Here's who you should sign. <laughs> Not Rob Robertius. Um so they've got this bloke in charge, which is a farce. And then if you look at the um, look at the the way things work, Brendan Rodgers told a really interesting anecdote that the big problem for him, the, the moment where it all went wrong, and I think this is a fair point, is that they didn't get Alexis Sanchez. They thought it was a done deal. Rodgers was told that signed them. It was done. We've been speaking to Barcelona about Suarez, and he made Rodgers made a very good point that he didn't just want to replace Suarez's goals, which of course were crucial, but. At the time, he thought he was going to have a fully fit Daniel Sturridge. He said he needed another mature, kind of um, very you know well conditioned athlete. That tempo, yeah, who who could play the game at a, a you know press high, could be fit all season like Sanchez. Up until this season, has been pretty much fit the whole time for for, for Wenger, um, and and basically a new leader in the dressing room, and he didn't get it. And the way things work at Liverpool with the transfer committee, the committee will only let Brendan Rodgers sign a player who was on their list, which which has basically been constructed through the idea of this Moneyball project. So they would only sign a player. Like, for example, Jermaine Defoe wouldn't have been on that list um, because he's too old. I'm not saying he was the right signing. And the only player, Rodgers said, the only player on, on that list that could remotely have come in as a striker was Mario Balotelli. So he wasn't saying, I, I didn't want to sign Balotelli, but he was basically saying, like, I did, I did want to sign Balotelli, but they literally gave me one option to sign, and you had to sign it. And this, what, there's no way Liverpool will ever be successful as a club, ever, if, um, if they, continue, the they continue that, that, that policy. And what, what he also said was, there were players that he was allowed to add to the list, but it wasn't like, right, so-and-so is available. It's like now, Shelby, Newcastle have, have been after him for a long time, but he's never been available. If Shelby, just say Liverpool wanted Shelby, I know, obviously, again, forget about the player, and he became available, he fell out with Swansea, couldn't sign him, not, not on the list, hasn't been scouted, they haven't done the data, they haven't done the numbers, it, it just wouldn't, it just, it wouldn't physically be allowed, allowed to sign him. There were players on the list he was allowed to sign, I think, Lana, who's been terrible, um, Benteke, uh, Klein, um, and possibly Firmino were all what Rogers calls his signings. Every single signing he made was presented to him by that transfer committee, which is right. I don't know whether that's right or wrong. So I know Ben's going to come back and clock and total, but for me, until Liverpool get it out of their head that these Americans um, or this bloke seem, you know, is part of, of any of their transfer dealings at all, 
they're never ever going to win the league. There seems to be quite a few teams just come back here on that point, Dogger, before go back to Mike. Um, there seems to be a lot of teams de- deploy, uh, sort of deploying this, this system. I mean, Villa apparently have a similar one. All the success stories. Exactly. <laughs> no, but that, that's my point, is it, it just hasn't it hasn't worked for anyone. So how do they think it's like it's the way to go? I mean, obviously it's from it's it's from baseball and it was very successful in that, but it's a completely different sport that doesn't matter so much well, on the statistics as much as didn't uh, Lambayas and, and Mike actually came up with their own like purples and blues and stuff they came up with their own ridiculous system for players who played for your own team though yeah so but then they'd say right we need to identify another purple to sign like uh, yeah, it, it, it doesn't sound as ridiculous as some stockbroker on, <laughs> on footy mango and he's decent <laughs> on the forums it's just it's just bizarre but yeah I mean just, just go back to your original point then so that the whole throw by Klopp, I think he's he's been really let down, as you said many times, by the Deadwood. Um, just Lalana, twenty five million, and he's twenty eight this year, and he's he's just not produced. Um, you look at the chance he had against Man U, um, where he went through one on one and tried to head it past the gear. Just you've you've got yeah. to you've got to take take that opportunity and, and do a hell of a lot better with it. Um, you, know, uh, you know what Lalana is really good at. He's a brilliant player. Outside of both 89 boxes, yeah, yeah, yeah. so where it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. he's one of the best players in the league. Yeah. Very fancy, Cruyff turns, yeah. link and play. Once he's, but he's, it's, he's, a, he's, he's almost just a waste of a, of yeah. a body on the he pitch. D- he doesn't. He just, he just holds onto the ball, doesn't he? he? Doesn't give it. He doesn't create goals. Well, he doesn't really he create doesn't, many he goals. Doesn't, he doesn't score any, and it's just for that for the role he's been put in and, and the money that they've, they've paid for him. It's, it's just mental. I think the the, the defense, while he's got that back four. Um, I think Klein's young, so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Moreno's a liability. He's got Colo Turi. Sorry? Also very young. Yeah. He's <laughs> <This> 22. <laughs> but he's, he's he's just a liability there. I, th- I think he's just looking to bomb forward at every opportunity and just yeah. so so act just constantly for, like just ignores his defensive responsibilities. You, you're going to get found out um, playing like that, especially when you're leaving the likes of Sacco, Lovren and Colo Toure, who are his centre backs that are available to him at the minute, like sort of one on one with a pacey winger, they've, they've just got no chance. So there's massive, mass, and, and then they keep it. I mean, they've got massive issues at the back, and that was obviously an issue for, for Rodgers and, and beforehand as well. I mean, since Carragher's left, really, they've been a shambles that, um, that Liverpool team, after for so many years, been really, really solid. Um, I mean, letting Pepe Reina go and replacing him with Mignolet was just mental, and it's just it's just decisions like that is is bizarre. But they've, they've got, as you say, they've got so much rebuilding to do. I mean, they've, they've got some good players there. I mean, I think Firmino, thirty million paid is a lot of money, but I, I think I've seen enough of him in in some of the big games for them that he's he's got something about him. At least he he produces a bit of skill and and can score a goal and. And he'll link up with Coutinho well. They just need to get a few more players around them that are going to contribute. But as you say, it's, it's just such a massive project. It's it's really harsh to judge Judge Klopp trying to sort of put his system in place, which is very similar to the type of one Rodgers was trying to. And and as you say, I mean that just going back that Balotelli. How did he fit that? Money, that what what did it, what young. boxes did he tick? He's young isn't he? But it's just mental. Like it doesn't he doesn't fit into that that. System, it's just mental. So they've, they've got massive holes there, and it, it's going to be a huge, huge rebuilding project. It's probably going to take a good few years. I mean, he's saying he wants to win a title within four years. Good luck, sort of getting a team, building a team in that time to to do anything. 
Swan's your winning. What a fucking beast, eh? Uh, well, talking of which, that's the that's the final point. Go for it. A, a seamless, a seamless link, does it? Um, Swansea, I thought we would we, take a look at because obviously it affects you, the the managerial appointment um, in the last couple of days. Um, the difference is, but I thought it was an interesting one because Swansea have long been considered this this model club in the Premier League, haven't they? So the way the way they run, they're, they're often cited as a team to follow whenever any other club hits trouble or, or has a bit of a, uh, a questionable ownership. I was like, look at Swansea, Swansea are the blueprint. Yet, yeah. if you look at them sacking Gary Monk and clearly having no one lined up um, afterwards, despite the fact that, that, that Monk seemed to be on borrowed time for a while, um, it, it, it seems quite, it's quite mystifying really, and, and very much against the grain. I know they've, they've acted swiftly now to get rid of Alan, well, to, to, to take the manager job off, off Alan Curtis and avoid that John Carver-esque scenario um, that, 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 could have, that could have prevailed. But really, yeah, I, I just wanted to, to, to have a look at you guys and think, I know this guy's not widely known, although if you look at his, his record in Italy, he's, he's done some, he's got some, uh, some, some rather impressive impressive feats. Talking about Alexis Sanchez earlier, he was a manager of that Uden Navy team in 2010-14. That wisely regarded as one of the one of the most exciting in Europe, he had a big role in in, a, in nurturing Sanchez and in turning him into that player that went to Barcelona. So he's no mug, and he's he certainly got better credentials than Alan Curtis. But um, really, for, for for you guys, obviously you're, you're right in the bio with Swansea. Um, wanted to to, to to think what your thoughts are. How, how much more likely is it now? How how bad news is this? Do you think? Oh, it's bad news because um, Alan Curtis was most certainly taking them down, uh, giving him the job. It's, it's, it, I don't know any Swansea fans, so I can't gauge their reaction, but it was almost like Carver last season, where, right, we'll give him the job for kind of five, six games. He's done very averagely. I think Curtis won one of those games. A um, couple of decent performances, but the, the stats were one win in six. Um, then we'll give him the job anyway. Then they got beat off Oxford, and they got beat off a terrible, terrible Sunderland team. He was most almost certainly taking them down. So this blow can't be any worse. Swansea are a good team. Swansea have got good players. Uh, who really knows what's gone wrong there? One of the things about the last time that Newcastle were relegated is that worrying about other teams is pointless because if you if your team can't get to forty points, this is this is the thing that cracks us about Sunderland fans and miracles and all this bullshit. Sunderland fans and Sunderland have achieved their miracles while still amassing pathetically low points totals. It's not a miracle. It's not a miracle to stay up on 35 points or, or whatever. It's, 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 not a, it's not a positive thing. Um, so the same thing. If Newcastle can't get to 40 points, regardless of who does what, then you deserve to be relegated. If you can't amass a little more than a point per game, you deserve to get relegated. So it's in our hands. We've got a lot of games to play. Uh, but yeah, certainly this bloke can't do any worse than Alan Curtis, who really... Unlike Carver, looked like he didn't want the job at all. Doesn't want to be a Premier League manager. Is happy with the kids. It's, it's interesting, though, isn't it? That they've actually taken some action after giving him the job. They've gone yeah. for the gamble. Like, oh, well, if he can see we're through at the end of the season, we'll reassess. That's obviously what we wanted to do with Carver. And when it was so obviously almost leading relegation, we still didn't act. Whereas they thought, you know what, this could end badly. Look at John Carver, and they've done something about it. So. In that sense, it's it's a better run club already, just on that one point. Yeah. yeah. 
Fair enough. I think we're going to we're gonna have to uh, end it there this week. We've gone on uh, 70 minutes now. Um, so thanks so much to everybody that listens. We'll be back on Friday for the radio show, pre-Watford, uh, live, Radio Northumberland, 7 o'clock. We'll have plenty of people tuning in this week for the quiz. It was a, another really good success. Uh, that's podcasted as well. And we're on Twitter, at TFWeeklyPod. Remains for me to say thanks so much, lads, for doing it. Thanks we'll to Rob be, Lee as well. Thanks to Rob Lee. We will be back next Monday. Cheers.